Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, the community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Um, I heard a Bible scholar and a historian say something one time I've never forgotten, and uh, he said that in the earliest days of the church, which we're studying in the books of Book of Acts, so in the ancient world, there were two things that noticeably differentiated Christians from the rest of the ancient world. Be an interesting thing to go around and see, what do you think the two things would be? Um, The first was their sexual practice, and the second was their financial generosity. So in other words, the Christians were revolutionary in what they did with their bodies and how they understood sexuality, but then also they were revolutionary in what they did with their wallets and how they understood financial resources and giving and all those different things. Now, I'm not going to talk about money and sex in the same day, so everybody just go, for my sake as well, that would just be way too intense. Um, But we're going to talk about the latter because our story today that Max read in the book of Acts is all about, it's a snapshot of the early church being distinctively, radically generous. Now, I know for most of us, whether you're a Christian or you're visiting this morning and you've never really been to church, money and church is an extremely sensitive topic. Um, in fact, I think probably most of the, what you hear in the news about the church is usually about greed instead of generosity. I think that's fair to say. And you need to hear me say that every single one of those stories is true. Um, people have always found ways to twist the gospel of Jesus in order to get rich or get money or manipulate people for money. And every single time it has happened, it's been an utter tragedy. It's a distortion of the gospel. But that's not what, what's going on in this in this beautiful story. This is the church being herself, and so this is what we want to look at. Everybody good with that? Um, What's so cool about this story, it's not a prescriptive set of laws about tithing or giving or anything. It's just a descriptive story of Christians living a certain way, and so we want to look into it. I think when you look at it, um, there are three things that stick out to me about the kind of giving that the church was practicing. So we're going to read through this story. We're going to pull out three principles about how the church gives. Sound good? And I pray that as we look into it, rather than become more skeptical or like, oh, this is weird, I pray that you would actually be captured afresh by how beautiful. Here we go. Turn to your Acts reading. We good? Here we go. Turn to your Acts reading. Um, Whatever page it's on. It's easy to find. Eight. Um, We're going to work through it in a second. But it begins by saying that the Jerusalem church, uh, when it started getting persecuted, when we read a couple weeks ago, if you were here about Stephen, when he got persecuted, it says when that happened, all the Jewish Christians got scattered across the ancient world. But as they went, they started preaching the gospel like Johnny Appleseed. They were just like chucking the gospel everywhere they went, and apples started growing. People started hearing the gospels. But it says they only spoke to other Jews. Now, the previous story was our last week's reading on Cornelius, which is when the Gentile became a Christian, and this shows that either they hadn't heard about that yet, or they were culturally prejudiced and didn't want to share the gospel with Gentiles, maybe a little bit of both, who knows. But it says, finally, some of these Johnny Appleseed scattered Christians get all the way to Antioch, um, and that's in verse 20. Now, Antioch is a super cool town in the ancient world. It's in modern-day Turkey. And Antioch in the Roman Empire is the third largest, most influential city in the Roman Empire after Roman Alexandria. It's the third city, which means the perfect analogy for it is 
Well, Madison, but what's the third city in America? Chicago. Chicago wears a chip on its shoulder because it's always the third city after LA and New York, but yeah, that's what it is. So think of Chicago when you think of Antioch. Super hip, super urban, lots going on, very affluent, cultural melting pot, super cool, way cooler than Jerusalem, okay? In Antioch, a few of these guys start preaching the gospel to Gentiles. And verse 21 says, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Oh my gosh, the seeds took even in that soil. Now let's start in in verse 22. You guys with me? The report of this, that these Gentile Christians were believing, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. That's a really big deal, and we're going to come back to that in a second, but let's keep on reading. When he came, Barnabas, and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted with them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who's Paul, we heard about a couple weeks ago. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. He took him to Chicago. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Cool, totally little aside, some scholars think that you can tell from the Bible that Luke, the guy who's writing the story, actually came to know the Lord in this church and in this movement in Antioch. So you can kind of hear his affection for Barnabas and maybe the church there because he could have been the recipient of it. In your sermon outline, there's three points. The church gives blank, gives blank, gives blank. Here's my first point that I want to pull out of this. The church gives themselves. The church gives themselves. And by that I mean Christians give by sacrificing their time and their talents for others. This seems like a really mundane story, doesn't it? There's some guys, they send Barnabas, they do this whole thing, he's got a funny name, it's Chicago, yeah, whatever. Um, but it's actually radical, and here's why. Barnabas is no ordinary brother. He is not just some random guy. Right when the church began in Jerusalem, right after Jesus ascended, uh, all the people started being radical with their money and offering it to the church and sharing with the poor, but there's only one person whose story is singled out, and that is Barnabas. Barnabas, it says, sold all of his land and gave his money to the church, which is amazing. And his real name is actually Joseph, but they nicknamed him Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. How hardcore is that? That's like you walk into church and it's like, hi, what's your name? It's like, well, my name's Joe, but around, here, around these parts, they call me the son of encouragement. I mean, like, who has ever been given that kind of nickname, okay? This guy is super intense, so think about it. Barnabas is a massive asset to the Jerusalem church. This guy is like top giver. He, top, he teaches, he serves so much he gets the nickname son of encouragement. He's like the guy in your company or on your team or at school or whatever that like you could not do anything without this person. Like this man or woman wasn't on your team, you wouldn't know what you'd do. You know what you do with that amazing person who's on your team? You keep them, right? You pay them so they never leave, or you like make sure they're so happy so everything's okay and they're on your team for life because they're so amazing. But what does the Jerusalem church do? They give them away. They send them to Antioch. Isn't that cool? The Jerusalem church is overjoyed to part with him 
so that the Antioch church can be strengthened. They didn't grasp at him. They weren't trying to build an empire and shore up all the people and all the resources. And I guarantee you that was a sacrifice for the Jerusalem church. I guarantee you their budget suffered because Barnabas, the son of stinking encouragement, moved to Chicago. It's also radical that this is a Jewish church blessing a Gentile church. Do you remember last week we talked about the divisions between Jew and Gentile and there was some cultural friction there? Isn't it cool that the Jerusalem church is overjoyed to bless this other church in a different city? I think, um, just because I'm in church world, but it's true for, I worked in a huge corporate company, Jerusalem, to kind of compete a little bit and feel a little bit threatened by Antioch. Like, this is the cool, hipster Antioch church that's blowing up, and we kind of like, what about us, you know? But they don't do that at all. They send their best to the Gentile church in Antioch. And of course, Barnabas himself shares time. It's not like it was just other people sharing. He stopped his life in Jerusalem, and he moved to Antioch for the sake of the church. And then he wasn't selfish with his role, because notice it says he grabs Paul. So just the selflessness just keeps on going and going. So what does this mean for us? I think this is one of those moments where we don't need any sermon illustrations or applications to drive this home because this is the story of our church plant. If you're visiting this morning, our church is like seven months old. We started meeting weekly in October, eight, nine months old. I don't know however long we are. But we only exist because people around the country have shared themselves with us. People have given themselves for the giving of this church. Amen? Many of you stopped what you were doing. You took kids out of school. You sold homes and you moved. You were extremely countercultural for the sake of the church. You gave your life. Some of you already lived in Madison, but you left communities of stability. You gave up free time, all kinds of different things in order to come and help build this spiritual house. That was a sacrifice. That was a love offering you've given. But the thing that strikes me about this passage is you are not the only one who sacrificed. In whatever community that you were a part of, you were a Barnabas, right? You were a daughter or son of encouragement to some community that you parted with. And at least for me, I know in my goodbyes, when my wife and I and our family moved here, there were tears in those conversations. It was really hard. But this is such a picture of the church. This is what the church does. She gives people away. She doesn't shore up empires or try to like hem people in for the sake of like some leader. Amen? Isn't that amazing? Can you think of anything else that's like this? Who's the best person amongst us? Oh, let's give them to these people who are in need. Let's give our time and our money and everything for the sake of the church. It's so beautiful. I'm so proud of how similar our church's story is to this church. It's so similar. We've experienced this. We only exist because people have done this. I'm also really proud of our larger church network. We're a part of a diocese that does this all the time. So some of you might know this, but there's a lot of churches throughout the Midwest that have given people so freely to us, and we give to them. And there's no empire building. It's this beautiful sharing of personal resources. It's amazing. So I think one of the applications of this is be encouraged. Uh, If you've done this, if you have given yourself for the sake of this church, know that you are standing in a long line of people who have done the same. You are living out the calling of the church. 
But I also think it's a time where we can think about personally maybe some good questions that this text might challenge us with. So I'd love for you to think about how am I giving my time? How am I giving my gifts that I have for the sake of the body? How am I thinking about my story in the context of the needs of other people? I think it's cool watching Barnabas. That's all he's doing. He literally gives up his life in Jerusalem because the church in Antioch needs to be strengthened. What a beautiful picture. But let's read on because the the radical generosity doesn't stop there. So join in with me in verse 27. You guys there? Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch is actually north of Jerusalem, just fun fact, but you always say you go up to Jerusalem and you go down from it to anywhere else. Uh, It's just a cool, awesome thing in the the Jewish mind. Um, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus, what a great name, he's hanging out with Barnabas, those are cool dudes, Uh, stood up and foretold by the Spirit there would be a great famine over all the world. Now this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, who are in this new church in Antioch, everyone according to his ability, to send relief, and that is financial relief, to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now this is so cool. The Jerusalem church hears that there's a personal teaching leadership need in this new church in Antioch. And so they can meet it, and so they sacrifice for it. And then the church in Antioch hears that the people in Jerusalem have a financial need and they can meet it, right? They're the third city church with all the cash. They give to support and bless this church. So here's my second point. First point, the church gives themselves. The second point is the church gives money. I could have said a different word, but that's what they give. And so I'm saying the the, money word, okay? The church gives money. Now, this has always happened. This happens in the Old Testament. This is a beautiful thing that God has always commanded his people to do and that they've done joyfully. I love that reading in the Old Testament where the people are giving to the temple and all the priests and Levites in the temple. It's so full of willingness and joy and all kinds of things. It's exactly what happens in the early church, um, in the church in Jerusalem with Barnabas. Everybody starts giving for the sake of the needy. It's happening. We have no product when they're giving to the temple. Um, and it's true for us. We have no product that Christchurch Madison sells. This engine runs entirely off of the generosity of God's people. It's all generosity gasoline. Or if you're a Prius Madisonian, it's clean, zero emission, electrical generosity. <laughs> so when you look at this story in Acts, you're looking at the church being the church. This is what she does. She gives. She hears of a need, and she can meet it. And they're the type of people who so quickly open it up. Don't you love how it's reciprocal? I think that's so cool in this story. I think Luke really wants you to see that. The Jewish Christians give what they can do according to their ability, which is people. They've got these guys who can help out, and they send them to Antioch. The Antioch Christians so quickly are like, oh, we want to give back. How can we meet your needs? And they meet them too. And I think you see... In this verse, even though I'm not going to get into it, uh, there's a really, really amazing biblical principle here about giving, which is it's according to the need of others and according to ability. Uh, That was actually in our Old Testament reading as well. Where's the need and what do we have the ability to do? 
uh, and that's it. It's a really beautiful thing. So Antioch's got the personal resources. Jerusalem has the financial aid. So what do we do with this? On a church level, again, I know it's weird to have application points that are just encouragements, but we only exist. Some of you know this. We talked about this at our parish town hall. We only exist because people around the country and the world, yes, the world and other nations, have given over hundreds of thousands of dollars so that we could start and grow over years. People have sacrificed so much for us that you and I, many of them, we will never even know. There have been gifts given to the church that I don't even know who they come from, and they made sure that we couldn't know. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that humble you? And we talked about this at our parish town hall, but we'll be coming off of that support and we'll be raising our own giving to become self-sustaining. And then we look forward to one day being able to bless other churches and give away. And we actually already are putting money aside so that one day we can give towards other new church plants or places that need it. Isn't that awesome? So we were birthed with the DNA to be a giving community, to be a community that opens our hands and gives away. So the church gives themselves, the church gives money. It's open-handed with both time and personal resources and with money. And I love that those two things go together. So it's not like, here's a check, but I'm not going to like, you know, talk to anybody I don't like or come to anything, but I'm glad to give. Or other people are like, oh, I'll join, but like, I'm not going to give you my money. It's both of them here. It's complete, holistic, total generosity. But here's the catch. If I just stopped the sermon there, this would still be moralistic at best and kind of greedy and manipulative at worst. Okay? I don't know if you're thinking this, but I would basically just be saying, look, these people gave all their lives and money away, and you should too. Amen. Like, let's finish the service. But it gets so much better than that. There's something else here that's amazing, and this is where we can't stop there. Why did these people give everything away? Why did they live like this? Point three. This is the big one. The church gives because Jesus gave first. The church gives because Jesus gave first. It's right there in our passage. Look at with me at the end of the paragraph in verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Up until this point, these people, these followers of Jesus did not have a name. They believed Jesus was the Messiah, um, but they didn't have a, a brand. And it's first in Antioch, in the hip third city, where people look at them and say, these are Christians. And that word in Greek basically means like Christ people, Jesus people. Uh, this was common. There were Herodians, which were like the people of Herod. And there were like the Caesarites, you know, which were like the Caesar's people. But they were like these people and all their crazy antics, they're Jesus people. You see, as humans, we give according to how we receive. The way that we open up our hands is according to what's been given to us. It's an amazing principle, and I've experienced this really powerfully this summer. So we have some friends who are ministers at an Anglican church in Chicago, and they were hosting a Scottish family who were also ministers in an Anglican church in Canada. Isn't that wild? Uh, we are a very global church. But my friend was telling me that he and his wife were so amazed by this Scottish couple that was with them by how much they gave. They just blessed them throughout the entire trip. And the cherry on the top of their 
generosity and gift giving was because they're Scottish, at the very end, this guy gave my friend two bottles of extremely nice scotch. Because um, he's a Scot, right? Uh, but we're talking like very rare, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, like, why are you giving this to me? You've known me for a day type thing. But as my friend was telling me, he was in the process of hanging out with them. He found that it wasn't just this guy or this family, that their whole diocese, which is their, their whole church network, had this crazy culture of gift giving because the bishop, the leader, was an insane gift giver. So apparently he lives his life in a way where he's just constantly throwing his money away and giving everything away to people and blessing people in really unique ways. So amazing how you see the trickle down to that person. Well, later on, Marissa and I, if you can trace the story, are hosting my friends from Chicago and Madison. And he brought it. And he was showing me, he's like, here's how old it is, and it's amazing, and it's phenomenal. I'm like, ooh, ah, this is so cool. And I'm, and then he pauses and goes, that's why I want to give it to you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no, you can't, it's your special scotch from the guy in Scotland. Like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, no, I freely received. I want to give it to you. And I'm just like, but you're the one who got it. Like, that's so cool, you know? And he gave it to me. Do you see the trickle-down effect? Now, guess what happened next? Two weeks later, I'm camping with a friend, and I have this, like, dumb little camping stool, and he just made one comment. He was like, this is a really cool stool. And just gut reaction, because I was still reeling off of the effects of his generosity. I was like, do you want it? You know, you can have it. Take it. I want you to have it. You know, he's like, no, I just said it was cool. Like, I don't want it. I was like, no, I want you to have it. <laughs> and it became this joke, because I kept on being like, do you want this? You know, he, like, couldn't say anything. I just wanted to give. Planted in me somehow was this deep desire to give away. And it goes all the way up to all these people, to people who way before down that chain of events were gift givers. You give according to how you've received. The church is generous because she has generously received. And this is where it gets hot. How has the church received from God? Okay? Let's just work our way through the Trinity real quick and the gift giving of the Trinity. The Father so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? His only son, his beloved son. And he gifted it, not it, gifted him. God the Father looked down on us in our need. What did we need? Salvation, forgiveness, Life, direction, intimacy, love. The Father looked down on us and he parted with the Son for our sake. Think about that Barnabas moment. I think it's a beautiful, tiny little analogy for what the Father does in sending the Son. The Jerusalem church parts with Barnabas to bless the church in Antioch. And God the Father looks at us and he gives the Son. He parts with him who he had enjoyed intimacy with since the foundation of the world for our sake. Jesus is a gift. Have you ever thought about that? He's a gift between you and the Father. Jesus always used to talk about how that's an essential part of the Father's character. The Father has all the love languages because he's the Father but certainly a love language of the Father is gift-giving. 
Remember that time he says, ask. The Father will give. What does he say? He loves to give good gifts. He, like, he wants to give things to his children. So ask him. It's amazing. The Father is the source of all gift giving. The domino effect of generosity begins with God the Father. Now let's think about the Son. Oh my goodness. What did the Son give? To quote a famous verse again in Mark 10, 45. This is a huge Jesus verse. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' whole ministry was one open hand. Think of everything Jesus gave. We could just list them off. He gave time. He gave to people who were hungry. He healed people who needed healing. He gave everything. He was never selfish. Money, don't you just love how, can you imagine somebody trying to bribe Jesus? Like how hilarious of a situation that would be? Money just rolled off Jesus' back. Just didn't stick to him at all. But then what he's talking about in Mark 10, 45 is when he gave his life, right? On the cross. Jesus laid down his entire life for us. It was a gift. He met our deep needs through giving his life. Amen? We experience the reception of this gift. This is one of the things I love our tradition so much. Tangibly, every week when we receive communion, every week you hear the priest say, in the words of institution, when Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you, given. And then what does Jesus say? Take it, eat it. He's, this is my blood, pour it out, drink it. You remember a beautiful part of our liturgy, the what of God for the people of God, the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them and feed in them on your hearts through faith and with thanksgiving. And then we get that offer of I'm giving myself to you. We're reminded every week that Jesus gave himself. And then we all receive the gift. We come forward, we take our hands, and we do this. And you take it. We receive the gift. Did you deserve that gift? You can talk back to me. No, you did not. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I did not deserve that gift. It wasn't your birthday. <laughs> you didn't win a contest. You weren't the most amazing person in the world. It was a gift that God gave and Jesus gave himself. Did you buy that gift? No. None of us could ever purchase it, manipulate it. It was a free gift. Oh, the giving of Jesus is amazing. I love the song we've been singing called Yet Not I But Christ begins by saying, what gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer? Amazing. Now, what else did, the, did Jesus give? He gave the Holy Spirit. This is where it gets even better. He says that in John 14. Give you the advocate, the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit give us? He gives us spiritual, gives us gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts, that what he bestows to us, one of the many things. But he gives you whatever talents or gifts, personality characteristics that you have to offer others. What did Barnabas do for the church in Antioch? He probably helped them like work out the gospel. He probably helped them teach and encourage them. But guess who empowered him to do that? The Holy Spirit. It even says that right in there. He said he was a good man and he was full of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes to give you the things to give others. So, I mean, they're all over the Bible, but service, teaching, hospitality, wisdom, prophecy, administration, anything that you have to offer, the Spirit empowers you to give away. I used to joke when I did a lot of youth ministry that foosball was my spiritual gift. And maybe even foosball is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a joke, okay? That's not in the Bible. Even your own personal gifting, this is what I want you to see, is something that has been given. So even your talents are a gift. So why are these churches in Antioch and Jerusalem so crazy? Why are you sitting here because people around the country have sacrificed time and lots of money in order for us to be here and worship together? Why are we called to give ourselves away radically, holistically, with our time and our personalities and our giftings and our money? Why are we called to do that? Because we're Christians. We're Jesus people. Amen? We live in that knowledge and experience what God has given us in the gospel. I love thinking about this this morning. Every single one of us, what binds Christians together, if you call yourself a Christian, is that we are all people who come forward to receive the gift. The thing that connects us all is we are the people who have together said, I want to receive what Jesus is offering, and I need it. We're the people who have received the gift. So our giving to the church and to others in need, this is really important, guys, is not transactional, right? There's no transaction happening when you give. You're not purchasing forgiveness or penance or anything. You're also not buying any stock in the church or influence. I think sometimes it's hard to think like that. Well, if I give, then I like, it's like somebody has an IOU against me, whether it's somebody in need or a church or whatever. It's a worshipful, joyful response to the loving goodness of God. Our generosity is not the, the source. It's just a response and a huge domino effect of generosity. Jesus gave us his body, and we give back to his body, the church, out of worship. Amen? So the challenge this morning is not first and foremost to give, right? The challenge this morning what I want you to be challenged to do by this passage and by the goodness of God is to receive first. If you're not a Christian, if you're here visiting, we're so thrilled you're here. People are all over their journeys of faith here. Do you know that God has freely offered you the gift of life and forgiveness and love and intimacy with God? It's free. You don't have to do anything for it. I want to encourage you, challenge you, don't spurn the good gifts of God. If you're not participating in communion and you see people coming up to communion, you should just see people who aren't any better than you. But I want you to be drawn to that open hand to receive Jesus' body and blood. He wants to give it to you. If you are a Christian, um, this is one of the things that can cease to shock you after you've been around church for a long time. And it's just at the core of the gospel that God has given you so much so freely that that generous heart of God, which has the power to unthaw any miser's heart, unclench any fist, right? So I want to encourage you this morning, particularly for the rest of our service, which so much revolves around receiving what Jesus has done, 
to tap into that. Go on a walk this afternoon and just start counting the quality and the quantity of what God has given you. And then let's all let that as a church, I pray that we, we are a church that responds like my friend did with his Scottish friend. I pray that we are radical like this church in Antioch and in Jerusalem with everything we have because we so radically have received. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.